others I meet may tell me I'm sweet and willingly I believe. I am that is the beautiful voice of Charmaine Carr, who uh, sadly passed away about an hour ago, or at least they announced her passing about an hour ago, uh, at age 73, far too young, uh, considering that the actor who played her father in The Sound of Music, Christopher Plummer, is still going strong. And still great. And still great. And getting Oscar nominations and winning Oscars and all that jazz. Um, Mark, welcome back on a, on a sad day. We've lost... I'm sick of this year. I really am. Who we lost now? Well, Charmaine Carr, oh. Sound of Music. By the way, I apologize in advance if yes. I cough during this entire podcast. Thank you for the ice cream, by the way. How are you feeling? By the way, that ice cream is the same ice cream I gave you like three, four weeks ago, <laughs> but I don't like it, so I haven't eaten it, so I'm making you okay. eat it. All right. Although, even though I'm sick, I did make the effort to go to the Pantages Theater Friday night mm-hmm. to go see, hey, hey. The monkeys? We're the monkeys. There you go. So, mm-hmm. <coughs> it was Mickey Dolenz mm-hmm. and Peter Tork. Mm-hmm. Obviously, David Jones passed away a couple years ago. Yeah. But get this. Yeah. Now, Mike Nesmith, who was always the musical integrity of the band, mm-hmm. even when they were a silly TV show, he, he performs with them on and off, but essentially has never done full-blown tours. Yeah. Well, that Friday that I went to go see him, that was his final performance as a member of the band. Ever? Ever. He had, he had, it was announced that September 16th in Los Angeles would be his final performance as a member of the band. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it. So, no, well, so immediately, all the ticket, shot, ticket prices shot up. But I'd already bought mine before, yeah. I, you know, before I knew this. Good for you. So I went, and uh, they were great. Mike Nesmith, he's uh, 73 years old. The voice is still there. <laughs> the voice is still there. The playing is a little off, but the voice is still there. Mickey's great. He's just as old, but he commands the stage for over two hours. I'm about to cough again, by the way. That's okay. Keep up. <laughs> we're, we're grateful you're, you're here. here. It was very good. Oh, and then afterwards, mm-hmm. I was able to uh, smuggle myself into the after party, Mickey Dolan's after party. Oh, wow. Now, I know what you're saying. Wow. Mickey Dolan's after party. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, really, it was just a bar of the W Hotel across the street. Okay. But I did get to shake his hand. Nice. And I got my picture taken with him, where I am not looking at the lens. Good. Because the, the, the woman who took the picture had a, a, a non-iPhone with a big purple folding case, and I didn't know where the lens was. We haven't had you back on the show, by the way, since uh, Gene Wilder died. I know. I mean, Gene Wilder thoughts? I Actually, when he, I, you know what? It's funny. I was homesick that day. I've, yeah. I've been sick for like two, three weeks. And I was homesick that day. No, here's what happened. I went to work uh, and went to my boss and said, you know what? I'm out. Um, I'm going home. Went home, found out he died, watched the producers. <laughs> and then the next day, I just took the whole day off work, and I watched um, Willy Wonka. Yeah. I, was, I had like a full-on Gene Wilder. Uh, but it, 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 it's such a horrible loss because his – Silver his, Streak and uh, – uh, I have that on Blu-ray. Blazing Silver Saddles. Streak. Oh, yep. and I watched Blazing Saddles too. Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. And uh, his comedy was so distinctive, and it was, it was a brand of comedy that you don't really see anymore. It was, it was, this, it was a strange comedy of, like just, of just sweaty, Jewish, white <laughs> desperation. That was his thing, you know? 
And it was just sweaty, <laughs> white, Jewish, and loud desperation. That was his comedy. And you just don't get that anymore. It was so great. Mm. That's really true. I just loved him. <laughs> you know what it is? Him, him and George Siegel were the two comedy actors of that era yeah. when I was a kid yeah. that I just loved. That's very true. Gosh, that's funny. And George Siegel's still around. But, the, but Gene Wilder had something else, too, which was... He, he, there was he, a, he had a soul. Well, there was some, he had a thing that that you, that you saw in a previous generation, which to some a little degree Bob Hope, but more like a Danny Kay. There's a there's definitely some connective tissue between Danny Kay and um, and even I would say some silent comedians like Stan Laurel, for that matter. You know, Stan Laurel to to Gene Wilder is kind of a little bit of a straight shot, which is that that guy who is who is funny because he's just so incredibly sweet and kind of oblivious. And um, you don't expect him to lose his, you know, s. And when he does, it's just it's just unhinged beauty. It's just absolutely spectacularly funny. But then you look at you look at performers, more current performers like yeah. Jim Carrey, and he's just manic. There's no real soul behind that. In True. fact, when he did dramatic yeah. parts like The Majestic, people didn't buy it. Yeah, because you True. can't buy him being sincere. Yep. But that's absolutely what made Wilder's comedy. That much better because you did feel that little undercurrent of sincerity. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just a clown. Yeah, yeah. When he, I mean, you know, that great shot in the producers around the fountain, which is all in long shot. You know what I'm talking about? Where sure, Zero Mostel is sitting there, and you know it's zero because he's just huge, and Gene is running around the, the perimeter, the concrete perimeter of that fountain as it goes up and down and, and you know the music swells that great John Morris music it's just it's just a, you know he, he's so large that you can shoot the, you can put the camera 150 feet away and you still catch the genius of his performance and by wonderful. the way his, his last name is Wilder because uh, of Thornton Wilder yeah, he's, uh-huh. he was a fan of Thornton Wilder and that's why he changed his last name to Wilder that's right his and real name was Eugene uh, yeah, Belichinsky it, 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 it was some really embarrassing Jewish very, name very Russian very Russian Jewish hang on I'm going to tell you what it is right yeah. now it was Eugene like he was born Jerome Silberman Jerome Silberman was it really mm-hmm. oh. born in Milwaukee oh. I thought it was more missed. Russian recollection was it was more Russian all right. Well, you're an idiot. There you go. All right. So we got a few new movies this week. Um, uh, are you going to be able to do this next week, or are we going to um, t- play it by ear? You know what? I'm seeing the doctor on Tuesday. Play it by ear. I will be fine. Yeah. So we'll unfortunately for our listeners, I will be back. We'll play it by ear. We'll play it by ear. I'll let everybody if, know. If not, you can make apologies for Pay me. Pay attention to the Facebook page uh, or write us, gods at digigods.com, gods at digigods.com. And don't, don't, um, we, don't wish me death. No. At least we wish want me, you well. Know. We want you to be well. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Get your strength back. I appreciate that. All right. We got a lot of stuff this week. Uh, let's just uh, burn right into it and get going. Uh, TV first? No, let's not do TV. Let's do new. Uh, you oh, know, those great movies. Do the movies. Classic. We'll do classic movies first. Crying so, out Jesus. So last week, Tim and I talked a little bit about uh, Iron Giant, and they finally got the uh, the the uh, which of course was out on in regular DV, and then also the limited edition uh, mega set. Uh, the limited edition deal here, uh, the signature edition, as they are calling it, which comes in one of those giant boxes that really only fits on the bookshelf alongside other boxes of the same uh, form factor. Uh, this is quite a set. Uh, it is, you know, the, the, you get the same Blu-ray in it that is available on store shelves. 
but you also get this collectible uh, giant figurine, which I recommend keeping away from three-year-old little girls because they will destroy it. Uh, and uh, a 36-page booklet. And uh, they uh, letter from Brad Bird and some art cards and you know uh, various other fun little ditties on it. It's a nice set. Uh, we'll cover this again at gift guide time because this will be something that will surely do really really well for uh, for holiday time. But again, the uh, the big deal here is the uh, new documentary, The Giant's Dream, which is all about the making of the film and all about how it became a phenomenon because it was not a big hit at the time when it was released. You this know was what, a movie I mean, that looked for an audience. It couldn't find an audience initially. Warner Brothers kind of didn't know what to do with it, and it has since become you know, a giant phenomenon. I mean, I, I remember back in the day, my, my father came to me and said, you know, Joe Morgenstern, you know, the mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal, you know, yeah. said that's the paper adults read. You know, my father said to me, well, uh, Joe Morgenstern from the Wall Street Journal just raved about this new animated film, Iron Giant. And it's never something that my father would see, right, an animated film with a bunch mm-hmm. of kids and giants, whatever. And uh, but that's that shows you that the film was beloved in in, in, in all corners, but <clears throat> couldn't find an audience. What? Why are you handing that to me? I'm done. What about you, waiter? Put it down yeah. there. I'll get oh, okay. it later. Why? Why are all those bodyguard things there? Because uh, it's a giveaway. We got a give giveaway. Away. You got a giveaway. Fantastic. Thanks for giving it away. Well, at Not the top of the show, you want to be able to say yeah, there's a giveaway true. so that people. Yeah, uh, whatever. that's a good point. Anyway, anyway. Um, so uh, what? You're not going to bust my. Uh, I, you're not going to bust about? my table. Huh? You're not going to bust my table no, here. I'm not. Okay. Thank right. God, I never had a job as a waiter, <laughs> a busboy, bartender. I never worked at a restaurant. Well, you worked at the theater, like Ab- I did. Abco Theater. That's right. All right. I was Beautiful. there for uh, the Ghostbusters premiere. Uh, Bill Murray had a headache. Yeah, yeah, you must have been working there when I went and saw it. So go figure. Um, so yeah. Anyway, um, what movie? oh Iron Giant. So yeah. yeah so it's you know it's great. It's got that great. Uh, I now because Wade would not give me the um, the big box set. I had to go buy the um, the one Blu-ray set, which is just fine mm-hmm. and terrific. Um, but the uh, the picture looks fantastic. It's got that great score. Beautiful score got a beautiful score the yeah. animation looks great it totally holds up jennifer aniston is in it and she's fine and harry connick jr is in it playing that cool that that the, the, the cool cat character and it's just terrific and it's got a lot of you know it's the movie's a throwback to the you know duck and cover days yeah but now that we're about 45 days from a donald trump presidency <laughs> it's it's really it's really becoming uh, this movie will become, will become prescient again yes it will it is a wonderful film uh, also, uh, real quickly, we've got a, uh, a couple of double features of old Hammer films from uh, Columbia Pictures by way of Mill Creek. These were licensed to Mill Creek. And uh, if you like the Hammer films, these are not, you know, top-tier Hammer. This isn't, you know, any of the really, really A-level stuff that uh, that usually makes top lists. But Hammer made ridiculous numbers of films. And uh, these are okay. Uh, they, you know, they have the Hammer feel to them and the Hammer look, uh, even if they're a, a little bit kind of uh, substandard. So... You'll, you'll enjoy them still if you are a, a, uh, a fan. There's some decent direction here. Terrence Fisher especially uh, directing Peter Cushing in The Revenge of Frankenstein, which is, you know, it's from 1958. Fine, fair enough. Uh, the, Mummy, the Curse of the Mummy's Tomb from 1964, definitely kind of on the low third, I think, of, uh, of Hammer Films, but that's, uh, that's kind of the ringer on that double set. And then the other double feature is uh, The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll and The Gorgon. Uh, the Gorgon. the Gorgon. I know it's 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 that that's a that's a mythical 
character that has sort of faded from everyone's uh, popular, uh, you know, from our consciousness. Anyway. Hey, wait. Hey, wait. Yes. It's okay. We're all family here. Uh, Terrence Fisher directed both of these. He was a good go-to guy for uh, for Hammer. And, uh, again, the, the better film here is The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll, which has regular another regular standby from the Hammer uh, factory, Christopher Lee, in it. Uh, Peter Cushing is in The Gorgon, uh, along with Barbara Shelley. It's, but it's really not... Uh, the Gorgon is kind of an odd movie. But anyway, beautiful widescreen photography in The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. If nothing uh, else, you'll thoroughly enjoy the, uh, the cinemascope of that one. So, a couple of interesting uh, little double features there. On Blu-ray, two uh, Hammer film double features from the 50s and 60s. Three of them directed by Terrence Fisher, courtesy of Mill Creek and uh, Columbia Pictures. Wait, you know, we were just talking about Gene Wilder, and uh, we have one more thing to say about him. Let's do it. He directed, uh, he actually directed a couple films. Yeah, he did. And Good ones. I yeah, like them. Well, you I know. Mean, the, look, they're not considered his classics, but I, they, they're still, they, there's a lot of him in them uh, on a very, very personal level. Well, the, um, the first one he directed was uh, Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother. And I remember liking this film. It had a very good cast for the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Madeline Kahn was in it, Marty Feldman, Dom DeLuise, Leo McKern. And this is about uh, Sherlock Holmes's mm. uh, brother yeah. who takes on a case of his own. And it's got a lot of slapstick humor, got a lot of blackout sketches sort of humor, a lot of silliness. It's obvi- obviously Gene Wilder worked with a lot with Mel Brooks. So that was sort of the jumping yeah. off point for his style. Yeah. You know, Gene Wallet didn't start by doing dramas. Yeah. He started by, by following <laughs> the, the master yeah. at this sort of comedy. And even though, even if Wilder's films uh, seem like pale imitations of what, G, of what Mel Brooks did, some of them are pretty cool. I mean, I, you know, this film, Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother for me is the best of the four films he directed. And this is on Blu-ray and it has a, a commentary with Gene Wilder, which of course is fantastic. Um, I was much less of a fan of Haunted Honeymoon. Which uh, that's from, kind of that that was the, at the end of it his. Felt a little, yeah. It felt a little stale. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was also um, it was also the last film he directed. It was in 1986, and uh, it just feels a li- it's just disappointing. It just feels like a like a copy of a copy of a Mel Brooks comedy. And uh, in the movie, it's got Dom DeLuise and it. G. Wilder had the same kind of company players that Mel Brooks had here. It was Gilda Radner, of course, his wife again. Jonathan Price was in this. Um, also, Paul L. Smith who went on to play uh, uh, Bluto in the Popeye movie by uh, Robert Altman. You know, uh, I love The World's Greatest Lover. Could I just say that? I think well, no, that that's is, a good movie. That is really yeah, I, That movie stuff. I like. Yeah. Um, but Haunted Honeymoon, it felt like the last wheeze of a guy who of a, of a guy who's needed to get funnier writers, punchier scripts. It just felt a little bit like, oh, if we just, you know, mug and pretend it's young Frankenstein, people will think it's funny. Uh, not the case. So I would pass on Haunted Honeymoon, although I did like... Um, Sherlock Holmes, the smarter brother. Woman in Red. You did yeah. that too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Woman I know. It's, yeah. 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 So, um... The thing with Woman in Red is that, is that that was about as sexy as Gene Wilder ever got because yeah. it, it co-starred Kelly LeBrock. Now, yeah. back in the day, Kelly LeBrock was like a real bombshell. Yeah. She was the one from Weird Science. Yes. Who was once married to Stephen Seagal. Who was once married... Can you imagine that? I know. You know what a big, fat, bloated... Yeah. Tub of lard. And and apparently not not a not a good marriage by any any account. That was Well he's know. he's a horrible human being. Yeah. 
He has a new movie coming out on Friday. He has a new movie coming out every Friday. Yeah. That's all he does. He goes to like Latvia and makes movies. Because the thing is that the funny thing is that he it's like he refuses to lower his rate. So here's how the here's how the sausage is made, right? So for Film Week, I'm on Film Week on Friday uh, with Claudia, the lovely Claudia, our new LAFCA president, Claudia Puig. And uh, so Claudia and I are on Friday, and of course the emails are being batted back and forth with the you know producer of Film Week, and we're trying to sort because there are 27 movies opening on Friday, okay, 27 movies. We don't talk about 27 movies on Film Week. We've got 40 minutes with a news break, uh, and you know you're you're lucky to get through 12. You usually get through nine. So the question is, between like let's settle on 11. We got to pick 11 films out of the 25. So the Steven Seagal film is clearly one of the first to go. We're not going to talk about Steven Seagal. I didn't even request a link for that one. It's like, why even bother? We've got so many other films, you know, so many other films. So You don't anyway. know what you're missing. This, this is actually Steven Seagal's uh, – uh, this, this is his comeback. Speaking of comeback, by the way, yeah. so I'm seeing the monkeys, right? Yeah. And, you know, the monkeys not only have their 50th anniversary, but they also have their first album in 20 years. Right? Which is awesome. We like the monkeys have a new album out. I mean, how lame does that sound? Right? It's like it's the monkeys. It's, it's, it's over. Like in terms of original music, it's over. Yeah. This album, shockingly good. Really? Yes. Original songs. Not only is it original songs, it it is original songs written by like the guy from Weezer. Death Camp for Cutie, right. Oasis, right. XTC, right. even like an old Neil Diamond song that was never recorded. And, wow. and I, no, I think they got Davy Jones' vocals on it, but never released the song, right. and they re-recorded it. But it's like you've got Death Camp for Cutie, Oasis, Weezer. These guys love the monkeys, and they wrote songs. That's pretty great. And one of the songs was like this heartbreaking song that I can't stop listening to. It was so good live with, with Michael Nesmith and Mickey Dolenz doing the, uh, doing the harmonizing. Yeah. And uh, the, that album is shockingly good. I was very surprised. Sweet. You know what else is shockingly good? Movie that I'm holding in my hands right now. Uh, film Movement, of course, has a new line of classic films, the uh, Film Movement Classics line, and boy, do they have a killer one here. They recently, of course, released the film, Ooh, which is one really? of my... It's a great in, movie. The, what I'm holding in my hands, yes, is Once Were Warriors. Now, this comes on the heels of another one of my favorite films from the era, which, of course, was the Cannes uh, Palme d'Or winning The Best Intentions. And uh, Once Were Warriors is the film that started it all for director Lee Tomahori before he just crashed and burned with his Hollywood career, which has never, ever lived up to anything here. I and, of know. course, there was the little cross-dressing episode uh, and that everyone, no one can, will let go of. But you know what? I interviewed him shortly after Once Were Warriors, and I remember seeing this. I saw this in the DeMille Theater over at the Culver Studios, and I remember walking in uh, with with my then girlfriend now wife and uh, thinking oh I heard this thing was really good at uh, you know uh, this played festivals and did well let's check it out let's see how it is I hear it's really intense and the, I kid you not I sat there at the end of this movie in tears unable to even stand for probably three or four minutes past the credits it was so devastating it, you you have no idea if you have not seen Once for Warriors you have no idea what a devastating, pulverizing movie this is. Okay, okay, have a second. Stop that. It okay. is... Th- this am, movie I, is a sledgehammer. You know that. Okay, I am the voice of the people. Yes. I don't need your crying for 75 minutes and okay. couldn't move. Let me tell you something, people. This is a great movie. <laughs> it is a great movie. But I'm just saying great that movie. I'm not like, you know, gonna... You know, I'm not, I didn't turn into a puddle weeping when it was done, but oh. it is a great movie. Yeah. Now, of course, Lee Tamahuri, of course, he wound up being... Uh, <laughs> yeah. He wound up being caught dressed in drag trying to sell himself for sex to an yeah. undercover L.A. cop. 
Nice job. But anyway, uh, and, and those who don't know, this is a this Oh, is a he family- should have hung out with um, Michael Cimino. Yeah, there you go. For those who don't know the, the general story, this is uh, essentially a film that is about a, 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 a Maori family in New Zealand, and I will tell you nothing beyond that. It is about the struggles within this Maori family and the husband, the wife, the children, the economic struggles, the emotional struggles, the extended family. And, man, does it go deep, and it goes dark, and it is just so devastating. Uh, Rena Owen should have been, could have been an Oscar winner for this thing. Uh, just absolutely fantastic. Tamara Morrison, who plays the father in the film. Uh, Jake it went on, of course, to uh, a, a Star Wars fame. Uh, yeah, he played, uh, played Boba Fett's, Boba Fett's father. dad. That's right. So, uh, you know, this movie started a lot of uh, it started a lot of careers, and deservedly so. Unfortunately, nobody's really lived up to what they did in this film. But uh, give it time. They'll come back. Great Blu-ray. <clears throat> Wait, I'm going to do something I never thought. <coughs> That's okay. That was Hang pretty good. I waited, I waited 10 minutes good. before I That's coughed good. again. I'm going to do something I never thought I would ever do. What's that? I am uh, going to not recommend an Aliens release. Oh, no. I'm tired of it. <laughs> We have the now, of course. I mean, Aliens is like it's just it's top of the mountain for me. But we now have the 30th anniversary edition of Aliens, and I got to say, not really worth it. Not worth the double dip. We have what's new is we have a um, introduction by James. Um, forget that. Otherwise, the movie is the movie. It's the same. It's the same um, uh, transfer. Ooh, looks good, but it's the same transfer. Yeah. You know, I, I love the isolated score by James Horner, only because it was such a controversial score at the time. You know, how much Horner and, and Cameron did not get along yeah, at all. Sure. Yeah. And how half of, like, part of Horner's score was, like, thrown away. And they brought in, like, you know, lesser-known composers to write certain cues, and they reused cues from Goldsmith's Alien score. And, you know, and, and Horner would complain about how he had, like, three weeks to write, like, an hour's worth of music. And then every time Cameron would change something, like, you know, Horner's scores and really all good composers' scores are so specific, they're so specifically tracked. It's like, you know, the, the, the strings have to come up and crescendo between the bullets, let's say, or between True. the dialogue and the bullets. I mean, it's very specific. So, but um, Cameron was such a tinkerer and just would never stop that he would submit new edits of scenes <laughs> and Horn would be like, I just finished this. I've so, got to be so annoying. And, and they really got to hate each other. Yeah. And uh, only you know, years later on Titanic did they reunite. So the isolated, um, in fact, that, that, climactic, that climactic cue uh, when, when Bishop goes and rescues uh, Sigourney Weaver and the girl and they take off, and that cue that you've heard in a lot of trailers, one of the best trailer um, cues ever. Yeah. They, well, he wound up reusing that very same cue five minutes later at the climax of the movie because they didn't like what Horner wrote, and Horner was already off the project. And so they just took one cue and said, hey, let's just repeat that. Whole hog. Take it. Put it here, too. <laughs> it's just a wild ride on that score. Anyway, but so the isolated score is good for historical purposes because what's good in it is great. Yeah. And Horner, oddly enough, Horner was nominated for an Oscar. But if you it. if you're sitting there and you're writhing in pain because you bought the jig, the giant mega alien set that uh, our good friend Charles Lazarica did all the amazing extras for, and you felt like that was it, that was the end all be all ultimate aliens Blu-ray package, the one that unfolds on the floor and it's about 18 meters long, and it, and you're thinking, oh, seriously, I have to double dip now just for one of these. You recommend that they not do it. That is a uh, that is correct. Okay, just making sure. Pass. 
All right, we got some more in our archive stuff here. Uh, the first is Alfred the Great from 1969, the Dissenter King. Uh, lots of kings in England, and uh, most English don't even really know much about them. Uh, this was this stars David Hemmings and Michael York, and Ian, a very young Ian McKellen, uh, directed by Clive Donner, good good standard uh, workman like director of the of the era. Uh, the, the, the history of it is not, it's not by any means anything like A Man for All Seasons or, uh, Beckett or any of those classics. Uh, it's kind of a little bit, um, it tries to be a little bit more of a, uh, kind of an adventure film in many respects, but, uh, it, it's fine, you know, when it gets into the, the really, uh, the nitty gritty stuff, the battle scenes, it's, it's good, it's solid. But uh, I, you know, the, the, that's really—it's it, very much of its period. So I mean, it's a—it's a good film. It feels a little bit dated. If you're a fan of this particular Technicolor era, uh, I think you'll probably enjoy it. The—the uh, the best part of it is, frankly, the photography, which is from Alex Thompson, who would go on to do Excalibur years later. Alex Thompson's cinematography is absolutely superb. Very, very beautiful. Makes me wish this was on Blu-ray. Maybe someday it will be. Uh, but for the time being, it is, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, an, it's more of a, almost a little bit more of a curiosity piece for people who like the genre. Uh, Moby Dick, not the more familiar one from the 1950s, the John Huston one. This one is from uh, 1930, a very, very early pre-code uh, black and white film with John Barrymore is really a rather remarkable uh, Captain Ahab. It is not that faithful to the book. Uh, it if, you know loses a lot of stuff from the book and then fabricates a whole lot of other stuff that's not in the book, and it sort of you know really wends its own way, uh, which is a little bit peculiar. If you know the book, this thing will go. You, you'll it'll, it'll throw you. You'll just go. Wait a minute. Wait. Wait. wait where, are, where are we now? I don't even know. This isn't even part of the story. It'll well, just... the, uh, the 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 sad part is that the John Huston one is pretty damn. Uh, pretty de- follows the book pretty damn oh, well, very much but so. Gregory Peck is miscast. See, that's the thing. You know, you kind of you almost want to split the difference. You would love to have that script, which was written by Ray Bradbury. We should point out uh, with John Barrymore playing uh, Ahab. That would have been great. But anyway, if only. So I do. This one is, uh, you know, again, it's it's uh, it's 1930, so it's going to have it's not going to have that uh, widescreen era epic feel to it. But it is a really, really interesting film. It's a, it's a little bit of a, as what they call a curio, but still far superior to the Ron Howard uh, Heart of the Sea thing from just like this last year, which was dreadful. And then, uh, last one from the Warner Archive, uh, Man in the Wilderness on Blu-ray, 1971. Uh, kind of a, uh, a Richard Harris film that sort of uh, was made by people who said, you know what? That thing he did in A Man Called Horse where we take an Englishman and we, we really uh, we throw him in the Wild West and make him look all uh, gangly and ragged and, uh, and uh, you know, rough-hewn and, and primeval. Uh, let's do that again. We, we can't make another Man Called Horse movie, but let's do something similar. And that's kind of what they do. So it's Richard Harris essentially doing kind of a Clint Eastwood riff in the West uh, and doing it r- incredibly well. Um, John Huston is in this. And John Huston as an actor is just, I, I almost, like, do you prefer him as an actor or as a director? Uh, you know what? As an actor, he's a great director. <laughs> Isn't it true? Um, but you know what? Richard Harris is one of those guys who's been totally forgotten. That yeah. guy is so intense. You know, I love Richard Harris. I, I wish there'd be some reappreciation of Harris. Like, like The Sporting Life, 
Oh, totally. I mean, come on. Well, this is directed by uh, Richard Serafian, who is the, the patriarch of the Serafian family. Darren Serafian, you know, is also a director. My wife's worked on his films. Steve Serafian? Yeah, uh, Shecky <laughs> Serafian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, basically, it's a, you know, it's a survival film. It's a revenge film. It's, uh, it's all those things that make movies like uh, all those Eastwoody films and the, uh, various other westerns from the time, uh, you know, Outlaw Josie Wales, all that kind of stuff. It, it's got that same kind of uh, gritty feel to it. And Richard Harris is terrific, and the photography is to die for. Uh, the music's great. Everything about this is really, really great. Uh, it is not A Man Called Horse. It doesn't quite reach that level, but if you're a Richard Harris fan, if you're a fan of uh, this era of Westerns, you will not be disappointed. It is a uh, rock-solid Blu-ray from Warner Archive. Well, what else we got there, Mark? We have Criterion. Sweet. We do that? Yeah. Very exciting. Rip up the Criterions. Cat People. Not the 1982 Cat People, but the 1942 Cat People. Ooh. <clears throat> now, this was a uh, the first production by Val Luton. Now, if you don't know who Val Luton is, he was uh, awesomely cool. He was at RKO Studios back in the day. You know. It's like it, the early 40s. And they used to say, if you don't like Luton's movies, then just go Luton free. <laughs> you know what? Let me tell you something. Luton's a bunch of crap. The whole free Luton thing, <laughs> somehow mankind went like... 50,000 years not giving a crap about gluten. Yeah. Now everyone's gluten. When did this happen? I, I, I don't know. It, it, it really is a bunch of crap. <laughs> Teach your goddamn bread and shut up. Who cares? Okay. <laughs> God damn it. Gluten All free. Right. All right. Anyway, uh, Val Luton was a, um, he was actually a journalist um, and a poet and all sorts of crazy things. And, and a scholar uh, and a gentleman. And a scholar and a gentleman. And he was hired by, um, by David O'Selznick to become the head of horror at RKO. He had to make low budget films that came in at a certain under a certain time. I think it was like seventy five minutes, no more than seventy five minutes. And uh, he, he threw it out. You know what? Valud knocked it out of the park. He did a lot of good films. He um, the first one he did was Cat People in nineteen forty two, and this one is a crazy movie. It's about this um, Simone Simon stars as a Serbian emigrant who's living in New York, and every time she um, has sex with a man, she turns into a, a cat. Okay. Now the now the real. She's most, no Nastasha Kinski. Let's no, just say that she is not. Yeah. Now the real most valuable player here is the director Jacques Tourneur. Tourneur. Yes, Tourneur. Mm-hmm. See, I can speak. Yeah, I have yeah. a French girlfriend you did a good now. Job. I can speak That's French. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do my best, Jacques Tourneur. This guy is very stylish. This this is a very stylish movie. This thing was beautifully shot. Um, even though it was very cheap, they actually wound up using some, um, because Val Luton wound up being a very good producer, he found ways to reuse sets from more expensive films, including Magnificent Ambersons, of course, uh, Orson Welles' iconic, failed, never fully realized project. So he did a great job. And of course, Luton wound up having a great career in horror. And uh, the first film he did was Cat People. And Criterion, as is its wont, Knocks it out of the park. They have an audio commentary from uh, 2005 featuring a film historian, which is kind of good, and a uh, documentary on Val Luton, <clears throat> which is very highly recommended because you'll find Val, Val. He's a little bit like, um, um, <clears throat> you know, what, what, what's his name? The the, the, the guy who was through hire nurses outside the. Uh, 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 don't stop the recording. I, know, I, know, I, know, I have yes. a whole documentary on this guy. It's the guy who he, he'd hire nurses. Stephen Seagal. And say, if you faint during the screening, we will not. We'll, we'll, there oh, are nurses. Oh, 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 I'm see, you, you, you froze me. You froze me. Hang on, we're finding out. I, I know you think this... Um, yeah. 
You're forcing me to. Uh, yeah. Now we're, uh, well, we are. We're gonna find this damn thing out. Uh, why are you doing no. this to me? You're. Oh. Uh, uh, William Castle. William Castle. Thank you. We did not stop the recording. nurses. You threw me with the nurses. Well, you I was know like, that was the famous guy who dated nurses. Who? No, no, I don't that know. was the famous thing where he would hire he the nurses. nurses to hire women to be nurses in the theater because he. Yeah, exactly. Because if you fainted yeah. during it was the movie was so terrifying that if you fainted there were nurses there to take care of you. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's Cat People. Good, good, good film. R- much recommended. Also recommended. This is a this is a, a knockout of the park situation. Is a Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers' very first movie. This is great stuff, and this was shot by Barry Sonnenfeld, who of course went on to have his very own fantastic uh, directing career. <clears throat> Pretty legendary story about how this thing happened. They had the idea, but uh, nobody wanted to make it, so they decided to kind of uh, make a little two-minute trailer for the film, which, of course, now people do on their iPhones, but back then in 1980-whatever, it was a big deal. And um, they wound up hanging out with their... They wound up recontacting their, their uh, one of their NYU buddies, Barry Sonnenfeld, to help them. They had no equipment, and they could barely rent out the cameras and the lights for a day, so they went and just shot themselves a trailer, and eventually got the movie made, shot in Texas. It is just terrific, very film noirish. You can tell already that the even though, st- even though visually, stylistically, you can tell that 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 they're still forming the Coen Brothers. You knew there was a lot. It's this movie is so of, uh, it's terrific. Every, everything about Blood Simple just it's so every detail is so finely wrought, almost more you know because you could tell they knew that this was their shot, right? Everything had to be perfect, and everything is. It's just so, so intensely, finely tuned. It's beautiful. But it, but it was also, it was not on the Coens, it was also Sonnenfeld. Yeah. He was the guy who gave that, those films their look. Yeah, true. So it's a beautiful restoration. It's just, a, it's a dazzling film. It's funny. It's noirish. It's exciting. When, when I, I remember, because I, I, I obviously rewatched it, the scene where somebody, I won't tell you who, gets shot through a window. I still jumped in my couch. I still jumped in my seat. Yeah, even though I totally. see it fifty times, so uh, it's just a really just it's a tight, beautifully shot film. Really good stuff. Four K digital transfer looks as good as it's ever looked. There's a new conversation with Sonnenfeld and the Coens. Of course, the Coens have gone on to make one or two good films since then, and a, uh, yeah, good stuff. New interviews with with Carter Burwell, who's like my favorite film composer. And uh, there you go, Blood Simple and Criterion. Get it? Fabulous. All right, we have uh, three from Warner's, uh, which I'll I'll go through real quickly. They uh, this is a, a kind of a we probably should I I, I I may bring these back for Halloween, but they're out now and uh, they're on Blu-ray and they should be called attention to. But great Halloween uh, trio here: uh, Salem's Lot, Cat's Eye, the Stephen King film, and uh, Stephen King's It. Uh, so uh, out of these, I'm going to say It, which was a television miniseries is far and away the one that you got to hang with because it is is just is, as stupid as the ending is this is one of the most terrifying things that's ever been on commercial television and it but is they're remaking that I know and it's not going to be as good it's just not going to be as good because Tim Curry rocks it he totally rocks it uh Tim Curry plays Pennywise the the you know the the clown who friggin lives in the sewer and snatches children and does all kinds of other horrible things and, uh, you know, of course, the end is ridiculous. It just undoes everything that comes before it. But it doesn't matter because Tim Curry is so amazing as Pennywise. How amazing is he, Mark? Um, on a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah. 3. Thank you. Uh, anyway, so great cast, which includes, of course, the uh, late uh, John Ritter. And, uh, but it's, a, it, you know, it's, a, it's just this really totally works because it is just all about uh, Tim Curry. He's just so phenomenal. 
So anyway, um, that is uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, Cat's Eye, uh, you know, I, this was I really hated this at the time. King wrote the screenplay himself. Um, it, it it ages a little bit better actually. Um, Louis Teague was the uh, the director who was kind of a, a genre guy for a moment in the 1980s. Um, and you know, Alligator and a few other things. By the way, speaking of what. Uh, speaking of Louis Teague, didn't Louis Teague also do the sequel to uh, *Romancing the Stone*? I think he did, right? Uh, which I can, I can, I can, yeah. I can attempt to find that out. Yeah. Anyway, no, it's a funny thing because I was going back and forth with our our listener Al in uh, San Francisco, and uh, he found a uh, uh, like online some Spanish language version of *Alligator 2*, which I happen to be in as an extra. By the way, I've never actually bothered to look for myself. Anyway, I figured it's what the hell? Why not? So I uh, actually found myself in it. It's quite funny. Jewel of the Nile. You can you can see me kind of standing up and sitting down and applauding and stuff right behind Steve Rail's back at a certain point in the movie. It's quite funny. You got your mind. Yeah. Jewel of the Nile. He directed that. That's right. Told you. He also directed one episode of Barnaby Jones. Oh, did he? And a, and a, and one episode of a, of a show that I'm sure you loved because it was horrible. Vegas. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, uh, yeah, uh, so much for that. That's Cat's Eye, not, not one of the great Stephen King films of the era. Uh, but I will say Salem's Lot has a, has a few things going for it. It's super uneven, um, uh, directed by Toby Hooper, who, you know, that's why it's uneven. Uh, but, it, you know, it's got its moments, actually. Um, it's got its moments. It's way too long. I mean, it's, you know, this was also, I think, wasn't this also a miniseries? I think it was. was I think, it? I I think, I think Salem's Lot was was a miniseries as well. It's very long. It's three hours long. Should be shorter. A three-hour uh, film. James Mason, terrific. James David, Mason. Da- David Soule, a little bit of a, 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 a little bit strange in there, but uh, yeah, why not? Uh, sure. <coughs> There's your there. There it goes. <coughs> Wade, yeah. Bill and Ted. Now, Bill and Ted did a movie. Yes, they did. Now, the first movie they did was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That movie, funny. Sure. It was a little like... Um, I didn't like it, but I understand why others did. It so was a little sure. like Dumb and Dumber, where yeah. it, was, it, was the, it was the right ridiculous, stupid movie at the right time, and it just tickled everybody's funny bones at the right moment, and it has uh, George Carlin, my all-time favorite. So that was a good movie. Then they did a sequel, and the sequel was uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Now, the thing with Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is that it sucked. And uh, that is included also in Bill and Ted's most excellent collection. And Alex Winter has been trying to make another Bill and Ted film for years. And what I do like, although I, I and I have to say I do respect Keanu Reeves for being involved in the various DVD and Blu-ray permutations of this of these movies. This one, new commentaries and interviews with Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, and so I like the fact that. Keanu Reeves is cool enough to want to be involved in this kind of stuff because it's part of his history and it was cool and it was beloved at the time. But it really is only one good film and that was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So uh, if you are a big Bill and Ted fan and you want both films in one uh, box set, then I guess uh, this is for you. Otherwise, you know, like, what's the point? Okay. Transfers, by the way, are not, are not great. Okay, so uh, we got some exploitation films here I'm going to go through uh, real quickly before we get into uh, something else. Um, there's apparently a an original German movie called Violent S, and you can fill in the rest of the word, which is a family show does here. Does it end in T? Yeah, it does. Is uh, there an H and an I in the middle? There is, yes. And uh, this is Violent, the movie, 
there, there was a German movie, apparently, Carl the Butcher. It's like a slasher film. And I guess this is a remake of it or an homage to it. Not familiar with the original. Maybe somebody can illuminate me. Uh, not exactly my scene, but uh, anyway, this is a big, uh, glorious modern-day giallo tribute to it, and I, it's just kind of lame and revolting. I have to admit, it's, it, it, modern-day giallo is the worst. Uh, it, it, like old giallo at least has the veneer of, oh, I can forgive it because it was made back then. But this is not, it's like, no, I don't, uh, no, no forgiveness. So... Can't exactly recommend that, but here are uh, here are four that I can uh, I, I, I can v- somewhat recommend to varying degrees. From the Arrow Library, the Arrow Video Library uh, comes a Blu-ray and DVD combo set of Dead and Drive-In, which is actually a shocking amount of fun. This was a uh, New World Pictures production uh, that uh, from uh, nineteen about nineteen I guess. 1990s, probably early 1990s. In any case, uh, this is um, uh, from Brian Trenchard Smith, who, of course, is you know a terrific Australian director. Did a lot of great classic films like The Man from Hong Kong and uh, BMX Bandits. Anyway, Dead End Drive-In is easily one of his best. This is essentially a completely uh, horrific future that's caught somewhere between like The Road Warrior and The Warriors and Escape from New York. It's that kind of a thing. Except all of these roving gangs of delinquent kids, the way that they trap them is they, they've turned drive-ins into the, like concentration camps for wayward uh, gangs of youths. It's hysterical. It's an absolute laugh riot. Uh, so dead-end drive-in, uh, definitely worth checking out. If you like any of the films that I just mentioned, if you like, like The Road Warrior crossed with uh, Escape from New York, crossed with The Warriors come out to play, good stuff. Uh, Bad Bad Gang is just a straight-up biker. It's just a, an unrelenting exploitation, sexploitation, uh, gore, horror, f- violence fest with bikers and women and vengeance. It is, it, there's, it is really about as intense and rough and ridiculous as it could possibly be. It was made in 1972, right at the end of when movies like this, the biker movies, the roughies, when all that stuff was really, uh, and it's, was really a thing. This is... Uh, this is just absolute. It, it it's an hour of indulgence that has next to no plot. Just it let the bikers run roughshod over people and then let biker girl. It's just it's insane. Like Death Race two thousand. It it's a it's a, it's a not quite as fun. Uh, a lizard in a woman's skin is a Blu-ray from uh, Mondo Macabro, which I have to say might be the first Lucio Fulci film that has not completely turned me off. Uh, Lucio Fulci actually does some real filmmaking in here, some real storytelling. There's an interesting audio commentary uh, with Chris Gavin that is uh, quite quite helpful to appreciate the film. Uh, this is the first time they've ever released a Blu-ray of this. It is uh, taken from the original negative. It is beautiful uh, to look at, really nicely photographed, shockingly so. Made in 1971. This was an international co-production between Italy, Spain, and France. And uh, it, uh, it is an interesting, almost Hitchcockian thriller. Uh, the, <coughs> you okay there? Okay. I've been putting off. I've been putting the cough off for as long as I could. It'll, I apologize. That's okay. Uh, it's an interesting thriller about a woman who is lured by the lurid happenings next door and the woman, the next door woman who is at the center of them. And then there are some interesting, unexpected twists. There's a murder, and there's some interesting stuff that happens that is all handled rather well. I have to say, Fulci. Uh, is shockingly good at it. And then not so good, but kind of enjoyable in a trashy way, is the George Lazopoulos film Medusa, M-E-D-O-U-S-A, 
which is like a modern day retelling of the Medusa myth that uh, is a little bit cheesy and kind of fake, but still sort of funny. Uh, it comes. It's a little too late and a little too recent. This was from 1998. It is a Greek film. They're obviously still making movies. By 1998, Greece is making movies that look like they were made in 1968. So, other than Teo Angelopoulos, I don't expect much. But uh, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's kind of silly in a weird, campy way. Uh, I guess if you, you don't you go in with really low expectations, you'll you'll uh, not completely hate it. But it's pretty cheesy. It's pretty cheesy. That's also from Mondo Macabro on DVD. Uh, Mark, let's uh, let's roll through some uh, some new movies here. Um, you should do some news too at some point. Oh yeah, some news. What do you got? What do you got for news? Oh, now all of a sudden you care. I do care. Well, why have we not talked about Criterion's December releases? Uh, go ahead. Unleash. Well, wait. Let me tell you something. Asphalt Jungle. Oh yes. Good stuff. Marilyn Monroe. Great. Fabulous. Great crime film. Yep. Love it. Yep. Gotta like that. What else? Uh, Roma. I got an aroma. You have, you have an aroma. Oh, yeah. Federico Fellini. Not one of my favorite Federico Fellini films. But uh, was, you know what? I have to say, Fellini, eh, I don't get it. Uh-huh. I mean, do I seem like 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 some lame film critic? Uh, no. A lot of people don't. Philistine or something? Ray, Ray will help you. Ray will coach you through that. Well, why? Because well, well, Ray loves him? Or he loves him? Fellini. Why? No, I, why? What's you name? know, I, he, he can get into it. It's a whole Brechtian thing of something. Ray and Brecht and Fellini all kind of, you know, have a thing going. I, I don't really fully. For me, Fellini, I love early Fellini. I love things. Uh, I, I like his more sort of realistic stuff. I don't like it when he starts getting funky, which is, you know, like eight and a half. I, I kind of half enjoy and half think is really self-indulgent weirdness. Same thing with the new wave. Like, like I'll, I'll sit there and watch Jules and Jim, and I'll be like, can you just calm down and tell me a story? <laughs> okay, she plays tennis and takes lovers, and I don't know what else she does. Can you, just, can you just calm the hell down and tell me a story? I'll see. I, I feel that way with a I, – I love, I love my Truffaut. Um, I, I just, Godard just makes me want to punch him. Not, not 400 blows. No, well, that's good. That's yeah, true. That's true. But that's not true 400 blows. You, that, that's your I love. I love. I love my true. And not breathless. Uh, yeah, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. You know. That, yeah. Yeah. I can. Uh, I can appreciate breathless and, it, it, on a certain level, but at the same time, I still want to punch him. Godard just annoys me. I, well, the big one is uh, Boonwell's Exterminating Angel. Yeah, that is. That's, that a big is, deal. that's the big one. Yeah. That's. Uh, that all the high society friends who are invited to this big fancy mansion yep. for dinner, and yeah. then for some reason they can't leave. And like Boonwell, it's not like oh they can't leave because there's a murderer in the house. Yeah, he's making as usual his yeah. his his comments on class and yes, blah, blah, blah. exactly. So that's the one to get. Yeah. Exterminating Angel, and yeah. then Heart of a Dog, the yeah. um, which I have not seen. It was the first feature by uh, Laurie Anderson in over thirty years, and I have not seen it. But um, that's Criterion. Good stuff there. Also, um, I just have to throw in real quick, Warner Archives has a couple good films coming out soon. Um, one of them is, oh, by the way, you know, Mission Impossible 6, good to go. Yep, I Can heard that. Now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Abel Ferrara's Body Snatchers from 93. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the Body Snatchers remake that didn't <laughs> quite gel. Like, they're, like the, the film was, that film just does not work for me for like, like stretches of like 35 I minutes was... at a time. And then there'll be a really cool couple scenes, and then it'll go back to not working. I will share my story of the Cannes press conference of that film when we discuss it. But uh, to be in the room, to be in the, that small press conference room when Alexander Walker 
it just ripped into Abel Ferrara. I was it's just I, I was a I felt like I was a witness to one of the most surreal film nerd moments in history. That was just so bizarre, so bizarre. Oh, you anyway. hated it. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll get into it when we when we do it. It's just it was the strangest. Cri- I mean, you know, Alexander Walker, famous British old film critic, very good friend of Stanley Kubrick's, wrote a book on Kubrick. Uh, but truly, one of the most strange and eccentric individuals you, you you would ever meet in your life. Just you 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 don't even want to get near him. You just you're afraid you're going to catch whatever he has, whatever madness is consuming him. Very peculiar guy. Uh, anyway, so let's talk about new movies. Neighbors Two, junk, absolute junk. Hated the original. If you like the original, you'll probably have some kind of enjoy, uh, enjoyment level for this one. But I just thought this was absolutely lame on beyond all comprehension, and a total a total waste of Chloe Grace Moretz's talents. Um, Seth Rogen and Zac Efron return, uh, you know, doing the the, the 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 rival thing right in the original film. They're the <laughs> he and uh, Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne are the nice couple, and then the fraternity moves in next door, and uh, you know it makes their life hell, and it's war war between the two, whatever. So the deal here is the uh, now it's a sorority moving in next door, and uh, they're the bad girls, and Zac Efron is recruited to you know basically just be there to make life hell for uh, Seth Rogen all over again. I, the, the whole, the, the, this whole thing is just so lame and dull. The original was awful. This is even worse. I just truly don't get it. And, uh, you know, I'm just so, I'm really kind of, on a certain level, I'm really tired of the Seth Rogen thing. I really, really am. I will defend him. You know why? Why? Because a lot of Seth Rogen films, yeah. including This is the End, yeah. and even the interview, mm-hmm. I feel like the st- a studio gives him, you know, $40 million to make a movie, mm-hmm. and he feels like he puts the briefcase with the cash under his arm and goes, ma- and, goes and makes some crazy film yeah. that, does, that feels totally untethered, like, like the inmates ran the asylum for like yeah. a, a six-week six shoot. But how much can you do of that, really? But Neighbors 2 feels like that just feels like just some cash in. It is. But That's this is, is the end and some of his other films. Yeah. I, I, I like him. I, I, I think that the studios need a guy who's going to give you something unpredictable, and which, by the way, is not Neighbors 2. No. But something unpredictable and a, a little bit out there. And so I kind of applaud his sensibilities a little well, bit. Well, anyway. Even you the get... one about pot smoking, which I didn't like. You know, the, the pot one, the Pineapple Express. Yeah. You just feel like it's like this. these guys are like, what, they gave us this much money to make a movie? Let's do it. You get a filmmaker commentary that's not much to speak of and a bunch of featurettes, a gag reel, and ain't that funny. Deleted scenes that nobody cares about. It is a Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet combo. Free State of Jones. This is Boy, a movie this, that came and went. That just, that just, it didn't even come. It just, it went without coming. Well, that's, so that's a problem for a lot of people when you yes, get to be a certain is. age. Mm-hmm. This is a, uh, a very interesting story. It's about a uh, Mississippi farmer who leads a rebellion against the Confederacy uh, with the help of um, some renegade slaves. The problem is that Gary Ross, not an edgy director. In fact, it was so funny. I remember in that first Hunger Games movie, everybody was so annoyed by the shaky cam in the Hunger Games movie. Yep. You're like, this is Gary Ross, who was like one of the most polished mm-hmm. st- studio guys ever, yep. trying to be cool with the shaky cam. Totally. And somehow it's not him. It just is not him. Yeah. So this is just a very – it's a great story, true story, just a little too careful and a little too racially sensitive. In other words, you feel like the actual story was a lot grittier than this. But it feels like it almost feels like a it almost feels like an awards play, 
and that's just like the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. So um, I would pass on Free State of Jones, Matthew McConaughey. Unfortunately, you know, he's he had that little bit of a renaissance after winning the Oscar, um, and now he's kind of like kind of back being Matthew McConaughey again. <laughs> you know what I mean? He hasn't mm-hmm. done a whole lot of. Uh, you know, yep. really good high-profile stuff since winning the Oscar. Yeah. So anyway, so that's a free state of Jones. Although it looks nice, but whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's unfortunate. I really had high hopes for that film, to be honest. I uh, got a couple of strange ones here that really aren't uh, worth a whole lot of mention, but we'll we'll dig into it a little bit. Rose Byrne shows up again along with Susan Sarandon and I, Oscar. I love Rose Byrne. She's my secret crush. And Oscar winner J.K. Simmons in the Meddler. Written and directed by Loreen Scafaria. And uh, the premise here is one that a lot of people will surely be able to uh, relate to on some level. Uh, but I suspect that the the whole kind of, I don't know, the whole late life romance uh, thing is probably not going to play for a lot of people. It, it's not... This is really kind of a very middling movie. Uh, Rex Reed loved it. He's he's noted as giving it having given it four out of four stars because probably the only four star review this thing got. But anyway, uh, there are a number of these movies that have come out lately about aging women who are looking to kind of you know they're either widows or they were never married or for whatever reason they're sort of trying to find that last willowy romance uh, before you know they they get seized by old age and senility and death. And that's something of what's going on here. I, uh, it, it just uh, somehow feels, I don't know. Uh, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. You know, I, I, I expect more here. J.K. Simmons and Susan Sarandon. You put those two on screen together. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you expect a like something? Boom! Right? Chemistry. Boom. Yeah. Bam. It's not really there. Boom, bam. It's not really there. So, anyway. Uh, and then, uh, unlaw- Unlawfully Yours, not to be confused with uh, Unlawfully Yours. This is In-Lawfully Yours. Interesting. Uh, y- y- right? Interesting. What's interesting about it? Very good twist on y- the title. Is it? In-Lawfully Yours. I'm glad you think that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so this is a, this is just kind of a generic family uh, drama that is unremarkable, uh, w- except for the fact that it's got some very good actors who used to be somebody in it. Uh, Marilou Henner, Corbin Burnson, they are noteworthy. They are worth seeing. Uh, but the rest of the cast is, uh, is, is, is not much. So that's, you know, if you like them, I guess you might like a little bit of it. Wait, well, here's a... <laughs> This thing might get some Oscar chances. What, what? What? What might? What you have in your hand? I, you know, it's this big. It's a surprise. It, 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 it's gotten a lot of lingering love. It really has. It's yeah. called a bigger splash. Anyway, so Tilda Swinton um, plays a uh, rock star, and she is on vacation in this beautiful villa island with her documentary filmmaker boyfriend. When who walks in? Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes as the long-ago lover, and Ray, Ray Fiennes his smoking hot daughter, <laughs> played by the smoking hot, well, she's not smoking hot, but she's very beautiful, Dakota Johnson. But he still thinks that he is a rock and roller, doesn't he? That's he's, right. His name is Harry Hawks. <laughs> and when your name is Harry Hawks, because you're a hawk, you're always looking, right? See, people have to understand, like in movies... You've got to give them the right name. You've got to give them the right name, and the name always reveals something about them. Yeah. I'm telling you. Harry Lime, Luke Skywalker. Exactly. 
Anyway, Harry Hawks, uh, he arrives with uh, with the smoking hot daughter, and it's you know what it is? It's this very sexy, beautifully shot, psychosexual, not a thriller, but just an interesting look at these four people as they're on this in this villa alone in the Mediterranean, and how they sort how. He starts to look at her, and she mm-hmm. starts to look at him, and it gets very seductive, very coolly seductive, a little bit, a little dangerously seductive too, and uh, I, I just think it's terrific. This is a total surprise because when you, when you think bigger splash, you thought, oh, is right. this is this a sequel to Splash? No, it's not. No, not even close. But uh, Ron Howard had nothing to do with it. Good. It's it's very sexy, and got a lot of attitude. And Ray finds it's about time that people look at this guy's whole career and go, wow, this guy's done a lot of great movies. Like this guy's been really good in a lot of movies, yet he feels like you, you watch this film and you feel like he's been underappreciated. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Fluh. Totally. Like crazy underappreciated. All right, so we're going to get into television here in a moment uh, after I blow through some foreign stuff and do our giveaway. Our giveaway, before I get into the n- actually naming it, uh, before I get into discussing it, the, the giveaway is for a film called *The Bodyguard*, uh, directed by Sammo Hung, who is having a much better late-life career than uh, Jackie Chan, his younger uh, childhood buddy and brother. Um, *The Bodyguard* is on Blu-ray from Wellgo. We're giving away four of them. Send us an email to gods at digigods.com. In the subject line, just put "bodyguard." And in the, uh, the body of the email, please put your name and mailing address. We will uh, randomly select four very, very lucky winners, as long as your emails are time and date stamped no later than September 23rd, Friday the 23rd. And uh, then we will get your four Blu-rays out to you. The Bodyguard, Sam Hung. Really, really good film. Really, great. just Samo is such a good director. If you don't understand, Samo is not just a great character a great actor, a great fighter, a great choreographer. He's a great director, and he has been for, you know, 35, 40 years. He directed movies long before Jackie did. He still directs them. He's just a consummate filmmaker. And this may be the best thing he has personally directed and starred in in years and years and years. Uh, It's wonderful. Basically plays a retired uh, spy, a retired government agent, who is living out in the middle of nowhere and who they pulled him back in. He gets dragged back into service because he's got to, uh, kind of as a rogue vigilante guy, he's got to help this little girl whose dad has been kidnapped by gangsters. It's, uh, it is sharp, it is tough, it is beautifully done, uh, and it is, thank goodness, it's in Cantonese, uh, unlike a lot of these films which are often in Mandarin now. And I just, it's nice to hear them speak Cantonese again for a change. feels like a Hong Kong film, not a Chinese film, but a Hong Kong film when they speak Cantonese. I don't understand a word of Cantonese, but I know the difference. My ears... My ears tell me. So uh, go ahead and send us an email to godsdigigods.com. Bodyguard in the subject line, name and e- uh, uh, mailing address in the uh, body of the email, and get it to us uh, no later than Friday the 23rd. And we will send four very lucky people, randomly chosen, a Blu-ray of The Bodyguard by Sam Hung. Uh, other foreign films to uh, make note of this week. Uh, there's a few of them. Mark, your favorite film, Tenebre, Dario Argento. Uh, <laughs> oh, look how the camera goes over the house, over the whole roof of the house, then comes down. Okay. <laughs> this is a Blu-ray from Synapse. Uh, we're not Dario Argento fans here, but those who are will love this because it's one of his most creative films from 1982. Uh, it's on Blu-ray from Synapse, and uh, Argento fans will absolutely go nuts for it. Uh, let's see what else we have here. 
Well, quickly, uh, from Redemption uh, and Kino, uh, really a, a, a kind of a shockingly strange and creepy Japanese cult film called Mai Chan's Daily Life, the movie, which is based on a manga uh, that was kind of a big deal in Japan at one point. Um, this is uh, in Japanese, so don't expect it to be dubbed or anything. It's not. You have to watch it with subtitles. Uh, but this is a, really an, a, a, a disturbing... It's supposed to be funny, unfortunately, and I don't really find it all that funny. It's just really, really uh, disturbing and creepy. Um, but it's about a, a maid who... Um, how, would, how would I put this? Um, is she winds up being uh, employed by some unsavory people who probably should not be... Uh, well, they're, uh, they've been reading a little bit too much medieval literature. Let's just put it that way. Anyway, uh, and then it becomes this weird kind of torture porn thing and revenge thing, and it, it, it gets very, very deep and disturbing and, and weird and bloody, and I, I, I'm not sure that I'm a fan of it. But anyway, uh, this is from Redemption, and uh, it's, you know, it's what they do in Japan these days, man. They're so, they make some creepy movies. They're weird people. They, they I've been to Japan. There's a lot of, like, they make some repressed creepy movies. sexual... Well, the underground DVD of it. I mean, on. look, there's a lot of. I mean, I love Japanese films. I should say that. I mean, I think there are some wonderful Japanese films. But the but the exploitation, the Jap exploitation genre in particular, and and where it is right now, it's very in a very creepy, weird, disturbing place. And I, it's it's like a little bit of J horror and dipped in there with a little bit of some of the old '60s, '70s exploitation stuff. It's, I don't really understand what's going on there. Some of our listeners, we have Japanese listeners. Please. Explain to us, if you could, culturally, where all of this kind of comes from. Um, let's see. Uh, we have a Pele biopic uh, from Brazil that is really not very good. Uh, it's well-meaning, but not good I- at all. It's just it's a little bit too generic biopic-y. It is naturally called Pele from IFC Films. I'm sure they will be peddling this for uh, awards consideration at a certain point, but uh, they really shouldn't bother. There's just nothing really remarkable about it. Pele deserves a great documentary. I mean, an amazing documentary going from, you know, the streets and the slums of Brazil to becoming the greatest, one of the greatest athletes of all time. Uh, many, you know, three world championships and uh, world cups. But uh, this, it, it's not really that good of a movie. It's a little, it's a little bit too worshipful, to be honest, on, on one level. Uh, from Oscilloscope on blue on the DVD, but not on Blu-ray, should be on Blu-ray is La Tessa, what is it? Which is a really fascinating film, anchored by an amazing performance by um, Juliette Binoche. Uh, the uh, it, it, this is essentially about a, a young woman who goes to meet her boyfriend at the boyfriend's family's house. And uh, it turns out he has died, but his mom is too grief-stricken, uh, played by Juliette Binot. She's just too grief-stricken, and she cannot bring herself to actually reveal to the woman what has happened to her son. Um, it is, uh, it, it's just, it's, you, you might think that's like kind of a thin idea to wrap a whole movie around, but it just, what amazing performances, it, it just, it's incredible. So, um, really incredible. The, uh, the director is Piero Messina, who's been a, uh, an acolyte to Paolo Sorrentino for a number of years, and uh, clearly has inherited some of Sorrentino's uh, sensibilities, but not all of that ostentatiousness. So it's, he's, uh, I think he has a really good career ahead of him on his own. Very nicely done. And then lastly, a couple from Cohen. 
uh, before we get into the television, which we'll try to get through as quickly as possible. Uh, Marguerite, a lovely Blu-ray of the film Marguerite uh, by Xavier Janoli, which is basically the same story as uh, the uh, Stephen Frears and uh, uh, Meryl Streep thing that just came out, the... uh, Florence Foster Jenkins. Florence Foster Jenkins. This is basically the. It is based on the life of Florence Foster Jenkins, but does it in a you know kind of create uh, somewhat fictionalizes it as a French tale. But it's basically the same story. Woman is a horrible opera singer, yada yada, the whole thing. Uh, And it's delightful, and it's very sweet and very funny, and uh, absolutely beautifully done. So I mean, I think the two films are perfectly complementary. Aren't you starting to think that Stephen Frears, who is famous for like not caring that he directs movies? He's like shows up like a lunch pail guy. Yeah, uh, don't that's you what start, he does. aren't you starting to think that he should like care more? <laughs> like that that Lance Armstrong film, yeah. not good. Yeah, he probably Florence should. Lawrence Foster, man. Yeah. And then uh, Catherine Deneuve and uh, Benoit Magimel are both really, really, really good in Standing Tall uh, by Emmanuel Berco, which was a big deal at Cannes, uh, and uh, probably deserved a, a, a significant theatrical release. To be honest. Um, the uh, the whole thing kind of centers on a on a, a, a fa- an adoptive family drama is what it is, and uh, this delinquent kid and uh, the legal system and how it sort of handles custody issues and I I, I won't sort of spin the whole the whole uh, narrative here, uh, but it, it it really gets into you know uh, at what point it does a family. The issue of where a family and state laws that govern how a family should or should not be constructed, how that can actually tear a family apart. It's a really, really interesting film, very well written and incredibly well acted. Manuel Berko, a solid filmmaker, does a great job. Standing tall, Catherine Deneuve and Benoit Magimel, along with Rod Paradeau and Sarah Forestier. Good film. Really good film. All right, uh, Mark, we're going to wrap everything out really quickly with television. Boom. Television. Start off. I watched some episodes of BoJack Horseman, Wade. And? It's good. Yeah? I watched four episodes. Very surprised. Yeah. There's, there, there's something about the character of BoJack Horseman. Yeah. He's just so... He, there's, this, like, there's a richness to the characterization, believe it or not, of BoJack yeah. Horseman, mm-hmm. where he, he tries to do the right thing, can't, winds up making the same mistakes over and over again, and then knows he did it, feels bad about it, and then apologizes, makes amends, and then makes the same mistake again. But not even really in a funny way, like kind of in an adult way, you know. That dynamic is not played for laughs, even though the show is funny. Wow. So I would say BoJack Horseman, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Empire Season 2. <clears throat> now, Empire Season 1, of course, was a famamaman. It was a famamaman. And everybody loved it. Everybody wrote about it. Season 2, meh, whatever. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of become just like another show. It's, it's Dynasty. It's just it's dynasty with a black cast, which I it's guess dynasty, which I guess is great for some people, but I, I it's you know worse than on me. Season five of Two Broke Girls. This is the show about two broke girls, mm-hmm. and it's on CBS and it's on the DVD, not Blu-ray. And uh, special features include a gag reel and unaired scenes. I don't like this show. I don't get this show. I don't like any of the shows that this guy does. <clears throat> but uh, there you go, and it's keeping Cat Dennings away from doing uh, movies, and I don't appreciate that. Blue Bloods is for your grandfather because it has Tom Selleck in it. Yeah. And he's a ramrod straight Tom Selleck. Guy's going to bring justice to whoever he goes. What integrity Tom Selleck has. He's a cool guy. I met him. He's awesome. But uh, the shows he does are always like, you know, filled with integrity and, and authority. And he's Mr. Serious, conservative guy. 
And on the classic TV front, uh, Mill Creek has released uh, seasons one and two of Miami Vice. Uh, so that's out there again. That hasn't been out for quite a while. It's Miami Vice. There's absolutely no point in me telling you what that's about. Gunsmoke continues to come out in uh, in uh, season combos where it's half a, you know, half a season, volume one and two in each set. I wish they'd stop doing this. At least they're coming out. Uh, you know, n- now at the same time. Uh, this is the 12th season, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Oh, glorious color. Uh, the show moved from black and white to color, and James Arness continues to shoot things up. Marshall, Matt Dillon, lots of good fun in Dodge City. Uh, we've also got Bob Hope on deck with the Bob Hope specials. Thanks for the memories. Uh, this is a six-DVD set, 13 hours worth of specials, and outtakes and all the amazing guests that he had over so many years uh you know if you like the bob hope specials you'll you'll love this it's i always found them to be a little bit forced uh very overtly written <coughs> now i'm coughing uh Uh-oh. but you know they they were they they belonged to a certain era now nah, i didn't get anything from you Twin Peaks is out again on Blu-ray. Uh, this is purely to market the show to get it back in the public consciousness because, of course, Lynch has done the entire new Twin Peaks series, which is in post now. You realize that they've shot the whole thing. It's amazing. They're posting it. Could probably go up there and see it a little bit if I wanted to. But well, I wonder if it's good. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's going to be a great, great thing. Uh, anyway, the, uh, this is the original series plus Fire Walk with me and The Missing Pieces. A, uh, a nice Blu-ray set that is out from Paramount. Uh, if you already own it, there's really no reason to, if you have all this, no reason to upgrade. And then also from Mill Creek, Knight Rider, seasons one and two. They're doing the same thing there that they're doing with, uh, with, the, uh, with uh, Miami Vice. Mill Creek has also released Heathcliff, the complete series, which Mark loves. Mark loves Garfield and Heathcliff, any orange cat that uh, comes from the That's comics. So- Effing stupid. Mel, how Blanc, is, Mel Blanc how, did the voice. How is Garfield? Yes. 86 I, amazing episodes. He doesn't, cats don't like lasagna. That's, a, that's Garfield. That's not Heathcliff. Oh, got it. Heathcliff <clears throat> is different. Anyway, the complete series of the Heathcliff television series, which was actually kind of a lot of fun for, for some of us. Uh, two season combo pack, seasons one and two of Coach. That is also on from Mill Creek. And then here is my favorite of the classic stuff, still from Mill Creek. All five seasons of Charlie's Angels, finally, in a binge-ready box set. Oh, God. This has not been around for a while. Get your Charlie's Angels on. If you haven't gotten it yet, now is the time. Get this Charlie's Angels set. It is bargain-priced. It's from Mill Creek. It's one box. Go for it. You're out of your mind. I remember when I was a kid, I remember I, I liked Kate Jackson because she was the smart one. Yeah. Like, I was not I the... I love like, that show. I, I love like that the show. Fair, I, was not, I was not into the Farrah Fawcett. Yeah. Well. The Blonde Bombshell, All married right. to Lee Majors. What else we got, Mark? Oh, Let's wrap it up. Wrap it up. We have the originals, one of those crap-ass CW vampire shows. Bunch of hot vampires running around New Orleans, doing all vampire-y things. Season three, there's new episodes coming to the CW. You know what? Just go ahead and just become an all-superhero network. Just just give it up and just become an all-superhero network because this vampire crap is just becoming really tired. And this show must be cheap to produce and cheap to license because otherwise I, I can't imagine this thing doing so well yeah. that CW has to keep greenlighting new seasons of this crap. Anyway, that's that. <clears throat> Hawaii Five O. This show keeps going, man. It does. I'll tell I, you, I'm, I'm shocked. Uh, I'm really when amazed. this thing was first announced, we thought, uh, really? But oh, <laughs> this thing just smells CBS. There's something about these CBS cop shows all look and feel the same yeah this is season six of hawaii 5 uh, and basically it's uh alex mclaughlin and uh, daniel day kim from lost grace park is in this 
John McBride, who we always enjoy. Scott Kahn, of course, top lines it. And uh, yeah, Hawaii Five-O. Special features include uh, making of the premiere, music video, and uh, some extended and deleted scenes, and a gag reel. But otherwise, honestly, man, if you have all six seasons of Hawaii Five-O, Email us at gods at digigods.com, and we will uh, we will recommend counseling for you. And then lastly, as long as Mark's talking about all these CBS shows, we've got four more here. I'm going to go through real quickly here because it doesn't really uh, warrant too much attention. The Good Wife, which is now off the air. Uh, final season of that, which, uh, you know, was, was uh, that really went out with a bang. That was a really, uh, that show really knew how to wrap it up very, very well. Uh, Juliana Margulies and uh, Chris Noth really did a, they did a, they did a fantastic job. Good, solid last season on that one. Madam Secretary, season two. Not quite sure how I feel about this. Uh, you know, uh, Tilioni. Maybe when there's no more election year, this thing will finally find its its footing. It feels it feels uh, like it's still trying to find its identity. Good cast. Uh, Zelko Ivanek and BB Newworth are very very good. Tia Leone is still trying to kind of figure out what the what the what the character's all about. I'm I'm afraid. Uh, Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, the first season. Good luck with that. The Criminal Minds thing I think is wearing terribly terribly thin. This is on uh, DVD and Ultraviolet. Uh, you know, Gary Sinise is great. I think everything else on this thing feels just a, a tiny bit familiar and stale. Uh, it's going to need more to keep going. And then, lastly, Scorpion season two. Um, you know what? This is this might have a, might have a shot. Uh, this uh, two seasons in, it's kind of you know it's starting to get its sea legs a little bit. Um, it, it can kind of stick with it for a few more years. Robert Patrick does a really, really good job leading this uh, kind of home security, homeland security group. Uh, it's a little bit too procedural. It's a little bit too forensic right now. But if they can really kind of open it up and uh, give it a little bit more of a kind of a, a grittier feel, a little more of a homeland feel, I think they might have something on their hands. It's a good cast. It has places to go. Anyway, then that's it. So uh, we are done for this week, Mark. Hopefully you will feel well next week and, uh, and be back healthy. If not, I will let everyone know on the Facebook page, and we, maybe, maybe uh, Tim would sit in if you're not up to snuff, or we'll just skip a week. Whatever. We'll, let you, we'll play it by ear. Okay, wait. Here's a yes. question for you. Yes. Healthy, wealthy, and wise. Right, Ben Franklin? Yeah. Healthy, wealthy, and wise, pick two. You can only have two. Uh, healthy, wealthy, and wise. You only can pick two. Uh, healthy and wealthy. <laughs> well, healthy, definitely, right? Healthy, because so really I mean, if, picking... if, if I'm wealthy, I don't really need to be wise anymore. Wisdom really is only worthwhile if it gets you your health and your wealth. If you got both of those things without being wise, what's the point? Or you could be healthy and wise and use your wizenedness to become wealthy. Yeah, but if you're you already... have all three. But if you're already wealthy, why, why bother? Okay, but that means that if you're wealthy, you're an idiot. Yeah. Well, you're an idiot now. Okay, good. I'm an idiot. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Dressed up like a million-dollar trooper. Trying mighty hard to look like Gary Cooper. Cooper, Come, let's mix where Rockefellers walk with sticks or umbrellas in their midst. 